Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It is that time again for Believe in Titans podcast featuring former NFL cornerback Denard Walker, who began his career with the Titans, uh, all Titans at SI.com reporter John Glennon, and I am David Beauclair, also of all Titans at SI.com. You can find our work at SI.com slash NFL slash Titans. The uh, the rookie camp, rookie orientation, however you want to characterize it, is in the books. John, you and I were out there for a couple of days, got to see a couple of practices. Um, let's start with the guy everybody's talking about, Malik Willis, the quarterback, third round draft pick. What uh, what did you see from him that that you liked? Maybe didn't like? What was what was most noticeable with Malik Willis for you? You know, I think probably the things that, that stood out most for me were, were A, uh, the arm strength, um, you know, was as advertised. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, that he was throwing one long ball after another, because to me, they, they didn't really throw a lot of, of deep passes during the two days we watched him. But it was just the, uh, the, the more the straightforward, like the seam shots to the tight end, uh, you know, crossing routes over the middle and, and the out routes the kind of passes that you have to be very, very, uh, you know, on target with, or else you're, you're, you know, potentially getting those, uh, those passes getting picked off. I thought he threw some ropes in, in that regard. So I think that was the, probably the thing that, that impressed me most. Um, I thought it was, a, a, you know, some of the accuracy uh, did sort of come and go uh, at times. And uh, I thought the mechanics, you know, were, were a little bit different to, to watch. Uh, in, in him, you know, it's, it's more of a three quarters release, um, you know, and he kind of kicks that right foot up in the air a little bit as he, as he follows through, um, you know, and, and I, I suspect they'll, they'll probably try to work with him a little bit in terms of his base. But the, the question I think you, you run into also in terms of, of mechanics and how much you want to do is this guy had some incredible success and, and put up some huge numbers in college. And we've seen in recent years in the NFL that not everybody has to play quarterback the same way. So, you know, how much do you really want to change Malik Willis uh, if you want to change him in that regard? Yeah, I, I thought I thought the same thing. Like it's certainly not a textbook delivery. It, it, you know, you're not going to use him as as the ideal film of this is what you want to do the elbow drops a little bit but but keep in mind he's not the biggest guy in the world either so he probably you know I think probably some of that comes from the fact that he has to has to work to find his throwing lanes 
sometimes because he's not he's not looking over the offensive line. In fact, there was one time he was scrambling right and he gave it the old sort of Patrick Mahomes sidearm thing, which I thought which you know I thought was interesting and and sort of compelling in terms of you know the way his his mind works in that. And I you know the the, the other thing that I think can't be overstated was his press conference and how, how poised and how relaxed he was and how, you know, how charismatic he was. You saw, you you saw a lot of those things that I think you, you imagine translate very well to the huddle. Like he wasn't just a robot up there. And, and even with the, the question about Ryan Tannehill and mentorship and whatnot, it wasn't, he wasn't just spitting out something that the PR department told him to say, he, he joked about it. He, you know, he, he and Tannehill have spoken in person, uh, it, you get the sense he certainly didn't make a big deal out of it when when the two of them met. So I thought uh, I thought it was real promising in that regard. And, and Denard, I'll, I'll come to you this way. We all know the plan is not for Malik Willis to be under center for this team in week one. But but as the as the rookies come into to this phase of the offseason now and and start working with the veterans and whatnot, what are what are veterans going to be looking for from from this kid that that will tell them, hey, when the time comes, we'll be able to count on him. Uh, they're looking for nothing, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, when a veteran comes in for again, like OTAs and minicamp, what he's just trying to do is get ready for uh, training camp. He's trying to get his footwork down. He's trying to uh, make sure he works on his mechanics. And not to mention, when you go in as a as veteran, I know when I played for the Titans for those four years, and uh, we just, uh, we would come out and basically spend about 15, maybe 30 minutes at tops just working on some footwork drills. And we let the younger guys take all of the reps. And Jeff had a, Jeff, um, the way that he ran his system was you work during training camp when you're a veteran, you're going to take majority of the reps, but many camps and OTAs, it's going to be a time where you can just come in and just work on the little nuances of the game. So you're not looking at what rookies are doing. You're just trying to get a feel of your new teammates and it's harder for rookies to adjust rather than a veteran. Those are the guys that are, they're trying to fit in. They're trying to understand what their role is. And not to mention they're thinking about their, their head is going about a thousand miles an hour because of what's, you know, the playbook and everything that's been thrown at them. So that was my kind of take going into uh, the, the, the OTAs is just go in there and spend about 15 or 20 minutes to just get my footwork drills down. It it was not a good camp or a good couple of days, I guess, if you will, for first round pick Traylon Burks, who didn't make it through the the first day with with what looked like conditioning issues, and and Mike Vrabel certainly didn't didn't deny that that was the case. The second day, he was out there the whole time. Some people have have characterized him as a full participant. I would not say he was a full participant because the back half of the workout, he was almost exclusively a spectator. But, um, you know, Mike Rabel talked about it, you know, that, that a lot of guys think they're in shape, think they're in NFL shape yeah. until they get into a camp like this. Denard, do you remember 1997? Was, <laughs> was it a, was it a big eye opening experience in terms yeah. of conditioning and what's required? You know, it's weird you asked me that question because I didn't get through uh, the first five minutes of practice and Steve water, Steve Waterson, who was our strength coach, he came in and he threw a, just a, he was mad. He threw a tirade at the rookies. And he said, you know, this rookie class was the worst conditioning class that he's seen in all of his years as a strength and conditioning specialist. You know, when you come in as a rookie, a lot of times when you, when you finish your season, 
um, like, so your senior year, your junior year, you know, you're coming out, you don't take a break, you know, you're, you're, you're going, you know, and what you're doing is you're getting ready for the combines, you're getting ready to run the 40 yard dash, you're not really doing a lot of conditioning work. So you will see sometimes a kind of a guys are off a little bit in their conditioning. So this is not abnormal and not to mention, you know what, I went through it twice because when I got, when I transitioned on to Denver, you know, five years later, I had to deal with the altitude. So it took me almost three months to get used to the air in Colorado. So I didn't make it through a lot of the practices in the beginning. Mike Shanahan, he didn't, he didn't throw a fit because he knew that free agents coming in in Colorado for the first time, this is actually normal. And so right now what you're doing is you're trying to get acclimated to the system. This is, you're no longer in Arkansas and not to mention, you got to think about the living arrangements. When guys first come in, they're usually in a hotel or some kind of suite. So you don't have access a lot of times to meals or, or if you're getting a meal over there and then water, you got to go out sometimes and get little things that sometimes we take for granted that we have right in front of us. So hydration, that was a part of the reason that I couldn't get uh, through practice because I was dehydrated. So again, this is not abnormal. It's actually quite normal. And I, it, I wouldn't make a big deal out of it. I think he's going to be just fine. Yeah, I remember back in 1999, a guy you mentioned last week, Denard, Donald Mitchell. Uh, he was he was a guy you noticed for good reasons during rookie camp. He was a fourth-round pick, and you thought, wow, that guy looks like he can do some things. And I remember talking to him on the last day, and he was sitting in front of his locker, and I, and I asked him some sort of question. He just looked at me. He goes, all I know after these couple of days is I'm not in shape. <laughs> no, you know, like you're I've not. Got, he's like, I have so much work to do between now and, and when we come back and, uh, and Derek Morgan, you can, I remember 2010 too. He got, he got nicked sort of almost at every stage of the off season. At some point there, he talked about it too. He said the pre-draft process, he said, you're, you know, you're, you're going to all these interviews and you're going to the combine and you're here and there. And, and, and I remember him saying that, that, wow, now that the draft is over, I'm happy to be in one place where I can really work out and, and do that sort of thing. So yeah, this, this is, this is not unusual to to have seen this. It, it, I think it's a little disheartening for people given that he's the first round draft pick and, and given the expectations on him this year, but it, it certainly, it certainly isn't a reason to panic. John Glennon, when, when Traylon was out there, particularly on Saturday, did you see anything, same sort of thing, see anything with him that you liked or that, that was particularly noticeable with him? Yeah, I kind of agree with you on, on a Saturday. I didn't think it was a full uh, day, you know, by any stretch. I think obviously he was out there the whole day and, and he performed more than he did Friday. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I thought he was decent. Actually, you know, unfortunately, maybe the one play that, that kind of stuck out in memory uh, was was a drop. Uh, you know, he had, he had a crossing route and, uh, you know, uh, Malik hit him with a, with a pretty good pass and, and it kind of went right through his hands. And, and you know, after that, Mike Rabel, you know, you could kind of see him having a little talk with him uh, after that. So, uh, you know, it was not necessarily a great set of set of days. Um, but, you know, one, one other thing I, I think is worth pointing out, too, in that, you know, when he did leave the field on Friday, you know, the first thought is obviously conditioning and so forth. But it's also worth pointing out that he was using an inhaler uh, at, at one point, too. So it's certainly possible that there was, you know, maybe some breathing issues. You know, maybe he's got whether whether it's allergies or, or maybe some type of asthma that, you know, that we don't know about. I mean, you don't use an inhaler generally when you're out of, out of shape only. So Mike Vrabel is not one to, to shed a lot of light on, hey, this is what's been going on with, 
with the guy and and uh you know this is what's what his problem is but perhaps that that plays a little bit uh into it as well but yeah and i also i agree that that immediately the the flag comes up and you say oh gosh it's our first round pick and and it's a little more concerning because the last two first round picks uh, we all know about isaiah wilson and also caleb farley played very little bit the acl and all of a sudden titans fans are thinking here we go again but let's let's not get too carried away you know after after a couple days there yeah, one other thing that was noticeable from those practices, if if I can go back to Malik Willis for a moment, was it was interesting to me. There were actually two quarterbacks in camp. You know, there were there were thirty some guys there. It wasn't it wasn't a huge group, but there were two quarterbacks: uh, Quentin Dormady, who played at University of Tennessee for a while at Pittsburgh, I believe. Uh, you know, they he was he was there as well. But he got almost no action in seven on seven and and team reps and whatnot. And and Todd Downing and Pat O'Hara, the the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, were coaching Malik Willis nonstop. And and Malik was getting all the throws and and all the work. I guess unless he said, "Look, I just need to take a play or so off." But I mean, it, it was pretty clear from that perspective, you know how how excited this staff is about this guy and. and 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 how much effort they're they're planning to put into to getting him ready to be this team's quarterback, whether it's this year, next year, whenever it is. I, I mean, because it it this was this was not just about hey let's let's get guys work. Let's see. What, I mean, this was let's get Malik work and 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 see what happens. And uh, and John, I'll, I'll give you this. We you know those are the two biggest names, Willis and Burks. Who who else was? Uh, was noticeable for for good reasons i guess let's let's put a happy face on this for a little bit yeah you know i I certainly thought kyle phillips made a a good first impression you know the fifth round fifth round wide receiver out of ucla and you know he's going to be a slot guy Uh, i thought he came in looking very sharp very polished everything from footwork to route running and you know the most important things he he showed uh, some really good hands uh, and especially on that Friday, I thought there were two or three catches, kind of wild catches that you noticed from Kyle Phillips. And and he's also a guy that is probably going to be contributing as a punt returner as well. So I think he got off to a very good start. And I think that the tight end, uh, Chigo Conquo from, from Maryland, had some good moments too. You know, as we were talking about some of those seam passes that Malik Willis threw, well, a lot of those were to, to Chig. I uh, thought he, uh, you know, showed a pretty good ability to get up the field. Uh, get his hands on the ball and and I think what uh, the real test for him will be is how well he blocks uh, because as we know about Mike Brable and the Titans if you don't block well you're not going to get on the field as a tight end you're not going to get a chance to catch the ball so that'll be his next test but those guys uh, you know kind of stood out to me a bit. Yeah, and, and to me, sixth-round pick Theo Jackson, the defensive back, playing safety, particularly on Saturday, he he had one interception. He had another that that I think easily would have been an interception, but he was smart enough to know not to create a collision with the receiver. He he pulled up, but but he was right there, and 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 that got me thinking. You know, Denard, you've talked about Kevin Byard and and how good he is at getting guys lined up for a for a rookie safety. Uh, in his rookie camp to to be out there and looking like he's in the right spot at, you know, uh, most times, if not all time, like he certainly never looked lost to me in the secondary. How, how encouraging is that to you? Well, it's encouraging, but you have to remember you're playing against rookies, the other rookies. <laughs> so they're just, <laughs> they're just like you, you, a lot of them are like, you know, it's hard to go fast. 
if you see guys in rookie camp going fast, that's a good sign because I know my rookie year, we were holding, uh, we were all over the place because you're still trying to process the playbook. So again, any kind of encouragement from the guys that they can build on is always a huge plus. Um, I'm, I'm excited with the secondary. Again, when you talk about Theo, he has a great mentor in front of him. Uh, when you talk about KB, KB is, again, last year, not only was your pro bowl player, but an all pro. And when you get a chance to learn from one of the best in the game, that can be that can be a huge addition that can bring on a huge addition to your game. So, again, what you want to do right now is get those reps, because when those veterans get into camp, what you're going to be doing is taking a lot of mental reps. And when you are a youngster and when you are a rookie, when you get a chance to take those mental reps, especially from someone like Kevin Byard or Monty Hooker, that again, that brings your game up to a new level because that's what this game is all about. It's the mental approach that rookies have to learn. And once they get that down, then they can go fast. But right now, I think that is a huge plush that he's out there going fast, full speed, because that's what Mike Vrabel wants these young players to do. Go full speed. Even if you make a mistake, just go full speed. Because again, that's just normal. That's a part of the game. We know inevitably that's going to happen, but that's one thing that coaches, I don't care if it's Mike Vrabel, Jeff Fisher, Mike Shanahan, they had one cardinal rule, make sure everything you do go 100%. Yeah, the, the the one guy, speaking of the secondary, the one guy among the draft picks that I I really didn't notice in the two days I was out there, and I think this is probably a good thing, is second-round pick Roger McCreary, the cornerback, because, I, you know, you never saw him, like, chasing a receiver who had caught a pass on him. You, you never saw him. Uh, he, he didn't really break up any passes either, but I'm thinking maybe that's because he had his guy covered and, and, and Malik Willis had to throw somewhere else. It, I, I think it was, uh, I think it was probably a, a, a good couple days for him in that regard, because, you know, cornerback is one of those positions that a lot of times you only notice it when they do make a mistake. And, uh, and, and he didn't, I, I'm guessing he didn't, didn't have too many of them. Certainly not the, the glaring sort of mistakes where you go, Oh God, that guy's three steps behind him there. You agree, John? Yeah, I, I would agree completely. Um, and I was going to mention a couple of the other guys, uh, you know, Hassan Haskins, we, we saw some tough runs. Uh, or some some good runs from him. Always difficult to kind of gauge running backs, though. Yeah. You know, when when there's no real contact, uh, certainly looked like he was doing a good job hitting the hole. But you know, you, you want to hold off until until training camp when the pads come on and, and see how that works. Um, Nicholas uh, Petit Frere. Uh, you know, I, I think there were some ups and downs. I, I you know I, some of the footwork, some of the mobility. Uh, you know, looked good. It looks like he's clearly a pretty good athlete. On the other hand, he looked a little anxious out there, too. Uh, there were two or three times on that first day that he kind of uh, jumped the snap a little bit. So, uh, you know, a little bit of work in progress there. But that some of that was also caused, I think, you know, it, it's new for everybody. It's new for Malik Willis. It's new for his center. So there's cadence issues, uh, you know. Uh, so we can't put that totally on Nicholas petit Frere. But uh, that was one thing he'll certainly need to clean up going forward. And among the undrafted, a guy who's kind of interesting to me right now is the running back out of Sacred Heart, Julius Chestnut. Not that he's 
going to threaten Hassan Haskins for his roster spot or anything, but, but th- this, uh, this chestnut guy's 5'11", 228. Looks like he moves pretty well. It, it's easy to imagine them sort of transitioning him to a, a fullback sort of role. You know, Kari Blassengame has moved on. They do have Tory Carter, but uh, this, this is a guy who looks like he's, he's destined for the practice squad with the, uh, with an eye on, on being that up back and, and maybe, uh, maybe developing into that guy in a year or two, because he, he just has, he just, he just sort of has that build, but, but moved good for moved really well. I thought for a man that size. Moving on, we uh, we did get the schedule actually a day the day before the rookie camp started. The NFL schedule came out. We now know that uh, Titans are are opening against the New York Giants. It's a it's a New York state of mind to start the season. Giants in week one, the Buffalo Bills in week two, um, and then it, it gets uh, it, there's there's some interesting elements to this schedule. Denard did. did you know how big how big was the schedule released to you when you were a player number one number two what what have you seen in this schedule that that caught your attention sort of immediately uh, as a player as a player, I didn't need to with John um, to be honest with you I didn't even know who we were playing the first game of the season until probably in training camp when we get kind of a clue who we're going to go against uh, for me it was all about making sure when you get let's say when you're going through OTAs and mini camp. For guys, a lot of times the mentality is just like I said, to work on the little things, the nuances of your game. And then what you want to do when you go into training camp, I'd never even thought about the regular season. I didn't even think about preseason game. It was all about getting better. But when I look at the schedule for this team, I look at the Giants and you think of the first, you think about their first four games, two of the first four opponents got um, new head coaches. You're talking about Brian Debo coming over from Buffalo. Again, there's some familiarity because he knows his Tennessee teams. He knows his defense. Again, he knows Shane Bowen. He knows him quite well. They went at it last year. With the last two years, they've been going at it. And then you look at the Raiders. They played the Raiders in week three. They got a new coach and Josh McDaniels. So you think about it, their first four opponents, two of those are going to have different mentalities with the Raiders and Giants. So you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, it in the first four games. But again, I think this is going to be a, a huge, huge game in week two. I think this is where you're going to see what this team is about because when they go to Buffalo, let me tell you something, them Buffalo bills are going to have a chip on them shoulder chip on the shoulder because last year they felt that, you know what, uh, Josh Allen slipped. I don't think that was the case. I think Jeffrey Simmons basically dismantled their line. And then when you look, when they go to Buffalo also, they're going to be thinking about what happened in 2020 when they got down here in Tennessee and they got their behinds whipped and, uh, when the Titans, when they didn't even play a game for nearly 17 days and then having almost a two-week layoff, many people consider Buffalo is going to come in here and say, hey, they're going to just dismantle this team. And I was one of those people that said, if Tennessee has a letdown and they get beat by 50, I don't blame them because they didn't even practice the two or three days, John, uh, leading up to the game. So again, I'm looking at week two. And I'm getting excited about this thing. And now I'm not going to be in Buffalo because I cannot show my face in Buffalo because I was a part of a team that the people in Buffalo still remember that game and I can eventually get hurt. But that's the game that I'm circling because it's going to tell you a lot about this football team in week two. Denard referencing, of course, the uh, the wild card playoff game following the 1999 season and uh, uh that uh that yeah people in buffalo still still upset about that game 
But one more thing, I also want to say uh, this, is that when you also look at this team, the first four games, I look at this team last year, they started off two and two. Now, to me, it's not really where you start, it's how you finish. This was a totally different team that we saw in week one when they got dismantled by Arizona 38-13. A lot of people thinking, "Uh uh-oh, you know, this is a team that a lot of teams, including a lot of critics and myself, I had winning uh, going to the Super Bowl was the Titans. And I said, no, no, this don't look good because Chandler Jones came into Nashville and just just tore up everything. And if he would have got an interception, I don't know what you call that in football. I know <laughs> in baseball, you call it hitting for the cycle. <laughs> right. So Again, but again, it was a different team in week 17 that went to Houston and won 28-25. So again, what you don't want to do is to put all your eggs in one basket in week one. You know, just make sure that it's a long season. So if you're Tennessee, what you don't want to do is to get all geared up uh, for just one game. And, and this is a team that I, they have a great coach and getting them ready for the prolong for really the duration of the season. That's his specialty. So again, I just, I'm excited to see um, what's going to happen because if you look at the first four games, they got some good quarterbacks they're going against. You talk about Matt Ryan coming over from Atlanta all those years. He's going to be with the Colts now and then Derek Carr for the Raiders. I mean, and then we know in Buffalo, we don't even have to say his name, but then the Giants, Daniel Jones. I mean, what are we going to get out of him? What are we going to see in Daniel Jones in 2022 with a new head coach? So again, this is going to be a tough schedule these first four games of the season. Good point. John Glennon, what uh, what catches your attention with this schedule? Catches me right offhand um, uh, is a really tough stretch. You know, I, I think we all knew. We, we knew who the opponents were going to be, of course. We just didn't know what schedule they were going to come in. Uh, and a really wicked stretch, I thought, uh, weeks 9 through 12 for the Titans, uh, when they go up against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, then it's home against Russell Wilson and, and Denver, then it's a Thursday night game at Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, and you come back home and it's Joe Burrow and the Bengals. So you're facing, you know, four weeks in a row, you're, you're facing some of the top quarterbacks in the league. And to, and to make matters a little bit more challenging, the, uh, the Chiefs and the Denver Broncos will be playing the Titans after a bye week. Uh, so they'll have an extra week to prepare for the Titans during that stretch as well. So that struck me as, as particularly challenging. Uh, you know, what you like, I think, if you're a Titans fan is, is that there are four primetime games. You know, that's uh, generally a pretty good sign that, that you've earned some respect. And, you know, the, the execs want to get your, your team uh, out front in front of the nation. On the other hand, the, the downside of that sometimes is, is uh, you know, when you're a more popular team, you're not playing in that 12 noon every Sunday anymore. You're getting moved around. Yeah. And I think the Titans this year only have eight games of the 17 that are noon on Sunday. So they won't have as much of the routine that they're probably as used to. Uh, so that'll be a little bit of a, a little bit of a challenge adjusting each week as well. Yeah. It's interesting. The Thursday night games too, being against green Bay and Dallas NFC teams, you know, before last year, the Titans had never played an NFC team on Thursday night. You know, the, the, the thinking from the league was always sort of, well, if you've got a short week, we're going to give you a familiar opponent. A lot of mm-hmm. times it was a division opponent, uh, mostly Jacksonville and, and Houston for the Titans. That's, that's clearly a change in philosophy here. And, and I think, uh, I think that's not the worst thing for the Titans. You look at, uh, you, you look at them under Mike Vrabel, they are 13 and four, number one against NFC teams. So they, you know, they, they do well with unfamiliar opponents. Then they're, they're four and oh 
coming off Thursday night games, and they're also four and zero coming off bye weeks. So they, they, you know, when they when they have this this extra rest, they're really they're really good with. And and the the games following Green Bay and Dallas here are are Cincinnati and uh and uh what's the uh oh no excuse me it's it's indianapolis after the bye is what i wanted to say early in the year so those those are two big games with extra rest in in that regard in those regards you you can say this this kind of sets up well for the titans based on what we've seen in in the four seasons under mike vrabel i think i think if they're looking at it in those offices one thing they probably don't like is a is a fairly early buy again. You know, Denard, you mentioned it in 2020. The buy got pushed up because of the COVID outbreak and everything. This team had to play 13 straight weeks after that toward you know to the end of the regular season, and and they weren't they weren't exactly the same team at the end of that stretch that they were prior to that stretch. Last year they played 12 straight weeks prior to getting their bye and and they uh you know they they sort of they sort of had a little hiccup toward the end of that. So I I think uh you know now now this this year again you've got five games of bye now you're going to have to play 12 straight again to the end of the season. You know maybe after 2 years they have figured out how to how to navigate one of these long stretches but uh but this will this will be three years in a row that 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 the the schedule is sort of lopsided that way and 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 will create some real physical demands on the players. I was I was going to toss out one one further point on on the schedule that I just continue to find a little unusual. And, and I know there's only so many things you can do with the schedule because everybody needs their games in certain places. But still, almost everyone would agree that probably the two AFC South. Uh, candidates to, to probably win the division this year are the Titans uh, and the, and the Colts, Colts, you know, and, and maybe you'd like to see you know, maybe one game early in the season, one game later in the season, we have about as strange a setup as you can in that regard. They're playing a, a, one another twice over, a, over, a, you know, in less than a month. Uh, and they're all done with one another after week seven. So, you know, in, in a, to me in a perfect world, you'd, you'd like to see a, at least one of those games, uh, again, considering these are the two favorites to win the division, one of those two games coming down the stretch, but instead uh, they won't even play in the, in the entire second half of the season. Yeah. You know, last year they played, uh, played both games in the first half of the season too. In yeah. 2020, they played both games, what, three weeks apart, I think, yeah. or, mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I mean, for, for whatever reason, the schedule makers seem to want to put the, the Titans and the Colts together, let them duke it out in short order and, and, and get on with it. Denard, you know, that do you, do you, would you like, did you like playing a, a, an opponent, a division opponent, twice in short order? Did you? Would you have preferred them being spread out? Did you ever give that much thought when? Uh, you were in I those prefer situations? to be spread out. To be honest with you, I didn't like it when you play guys uh, that close uh, together. I just, uh, I don't know. It's it's tough. You know, it, it's tough. Uh, it's easy to prepare for a team. You can play two weeks later because you don't have to do much. But then. I like it, like uh, John alluded to, I like it when you spread it out a little bit, you know, because, you know, this is amazing when they, it's like they condense uh, everything where you play the teams that you're familiar with, you play them early on in the season then you don't have to see them down the line. So again, this is an interesting schedule, but 
again, I mean, we don't do the scheduling, unfortunately. And we, we, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, yeah, nobody asks our opinion on, on how this should be done. We, we yeah. have to point out, of course, December 4th at Philadelphia too, the, the, the AJ Brown bowl, everybody, yeah. uh, everybody will be looking forward to that one. And that'll be, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you just you just have to feel like AJ Brown is going to be so up for that game, and uh, and, and you know he he's a guy who likes to likes to seize the moment, and that that'll be a big moment. I think the uh, the Titans will have their hands full with him, provided he's uh, he's healthy there. So uh, one, one, and, one tiny last, one yes. tiny more point there on the on the you know what we're talking about in terms of the the two games against the Colts being so close. I think another thing that hurts there is, you know, say if for whatever he say, if, if Matt Ryan is, is hurt or, mm-hmm. or, or say if Ryan Tannehill is hurt, you know, and is out for, you know, four or five weeks or, or another one of the star players is hurt. That means you're playing your, your biggest divisional rival twice yeah. conceivably yeah. without, you know, one of your biggest stars. And, and, you know, that really sways, obviously, you know, who could, who could win the division. And that's, to me, that's another reason why you, why you should spread those games out. Yeah, that's that, that's uh, that's a good point. It's uh, it, it's funny too. The seventeen game schedule to me just looks big. Like I mean, it's just one extra line on the schedule, yes. right? But you but you look at it, and for some reason, it it just looks uh, it just looks bulky. The, 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 one other thing I will say this this is the first time it feels like to me that the Titans haven't had like three road games in a, in a stretch yeah. at any yeah. point. Like they, there there is there is in this one a good balance between home and road and and you're never you're never stuck at home for a long time you're never on the road for a long time so or or maybe that's a bad thing maybe that's you know like to your point earlier too john that that the game times are are varied that maybe this team will never get into a a a real rhythm rhythm at at any point in this season well it's uh but it's uh it's it's exciting to talk about we have uh we have about four more months till the the season kicks off and uh we will we will continue to do these discussions weekly as we uh, as we build up to that. There will be uh, be plenty to discuss in in the coming weeks as well. But I think that is gonna that is gonna do it for this episode of Believe in Titans. We thank you for uh, for listening as always. Tell your friends. Tell uh, tell other fans that you know. Uh, Denard Walker, thank you for as always being here. Thank you, John Glennon. Thank you for being here. And uh, I am David Beauclair. We will uh, we will talk to you all next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.